Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Billy Munger. And hi everyone, I'm Johnny Herbert. This could be a long one today, Johnny. It's time to lift the lid on this week's Australian Grand Prix. Yeah, no, I think this is definitely going to be a long one. Definitely a long one, mate. Firstly, how are you, mate? We, yeah. had, a, we, had, a, we had a little meet-up last week for something special, didn't we? Yeah, which is going to be very interesting. You be you need to sort of uh, listen out to what uh, myself and Billy got up to because there'd be... Another part to that, which we 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 need to finish off. So yeah, looking forward to uh, to our next meetup. Yeah, no, it was great, mate. I really enjoyed it. As ever, everyone that's listening to the podcast right now, thank you for for being with us on this virtual tour of the 2023 F1 season. This episode will give you everything you need to know from this week's race down under, and we'll try and offer our perspective as as two drivers. Yeah, and anything you want to know throughout the week. Let us know. Send your questions to Lift the Lid Pod on social media. Uh, we'll be answering as many as we can later in the week on our team radio episode. Come on in, Johnny. Uh, let's get stuck into that race yeah. down under, mate. Um, three red flags in an F1 race. You know, it doesn't happen too often. What did you make of it all, firstly? Well, I, I, I suppose some of those red flags were, were not a surprise. Some of them were a surprise. Uh, and then the confusion sort of in the very, very latter part of the race itself, if you want to call that latter part, a race now to the checkered flag. But I, I think the first one, let's start with the first one with, with Alex Albon, because, it, it, you know, he went off the circuit, as we know, he hit the barrier, the uh, the gravel then came onto the circuit. And then the decision was made in a very, very quick manner to to stick out that red flag. And I know George was very upset because obviously he'd lost that because he'd just done his pit stop. And then some of the other drivers mentioned it as well. I think uh, Max was another one to come out and say that maybe the, uh, the red flags were too often. So let's just fix and talk about um, the one that happened with Alex. Could that one have continued? 
I, I think it could have done because the gravel itself is something that would just sort of get blown blown to the left and to the right anyways. Let's go around. Yeah, we both know as soon as a couple of the cars go across that gravel, the gravel's going to get, you know, moved off the racing line and then it's going to be, you know, fine through there. So, and it's on the part of the track that, you know, there is only one line coming through that section. There's no overtaking there on the exit whatsoever, ever uh, happened. So, no. And I think even with a couple of cars that passed Alex. Uh, car on the left-hand side there, it straight away took most of that gravel away. Then the next issue is, of course, then you've got Alex's car on the circuit and you've got to try and get Alex's car off. Now, was that uh, the decision that they then made with the red flag because of because of that? Because the, the situation I think was we have now is we know with the drivers, they don't want sort of pickup trucks sort of coming onto the circuit. Yeah, which is completely fair enough. Which happened in Japan last year which is quite fair enough, and it happened last year. We had a, a four-course uh, safety car going at Slough's pace, but, of course, it was Pierre Gasly who was still going at probably pretty much flat out when he passed that incident in Japan, and that was where all sort of the hoo-ha started. So, yeah. so then when the decision is then made, because there is a car still on the circuit, it's how you get that car off, and I think that's where that red flag was was brought out, I think, purely to get the car off. I know they cleared up the circuit and everything else, but I personally think that shouldn't be a worry. But then there is a worry, because if there are stones flicking all over the place, it could hit the hit a visor on a driver. It could go further afield. It could even hit um, marshals as well. Could that happen? Yes. Has it happened? Probably not. But that's probably not the point either, I suppose. So safety is always going to be paramount, I think, nowadays. But I think the race could have continued. Uh, especially on that, on that on that incident. Yeah, I think it was it was maybe a little bit trigger happy. Like you say, there's been a few sort of incidents over the last couple of years, you know, and that we that is something I think we just we see more often in Formula One now. That red flag gets chucked out, they sort out what they need to sort out, and then we go racing again, sort of thing. Which has not always been the way that you know you would do it in those situations. I think the first one with Alex, it sort of felt that. It, it it was a little bit worse for wear in the fact that, you know, it changed the outcome of the race in, you know, George Russell losing out on a lot of positions and stuff like that. When it, yeah. when a red flag gets chucked out and it makes a big impact on the Grand Prix, sometimes the fans don't like that because it's kind of just mixes it up for, for no reason sort of thing. We're a safety car there or something like that. Even if it takes out a chunk of the race, at least you're going to get a proper Grand Prix where, you know, you don't have those those things sort of affecting each other. Yeah, the, the other thing, Billy, is would would it be better if then the drivers were on the radio straight away after an incident like that, saying to the to uh, the race director, actually, no, we're happy, we're happy with everything at the moment. We do a, a you know a virtual safety car in that in that sort of sector, and then we're happy to sort of carry on racing. Is that something the drivers do you think have got to then maybe discuss with the FIA or? The problem with that is someone is probably going to gain from it. Someone's going to lose from it. I was about to say, if you're George Russell and you're actually, yeah. you've made that pit stop, you're going to say, no, it's completely fine. Let's just have a safety car. You know, you're not going to want the red flag for obvious reasons. I think it's tricky. I feel like with Formula One at the minute, there's obviously a lot of questions around the FIA and the decision-making like, you know, process behind the scenes. Uh, but I do think it needs someone that the outside of the teams and the drivers to be making those decisions. Well, that is their fine end, isn't it? That's that's their job. That yeah, is the, I just think we job. need to improve it, though. Do you know what I mean? I just think we need to just get those decisions 
quicker and you know and get the right decision as well it's sort of like the whole var thing with with football in a, in a sense you know you've got this this, right. this ability to make the right decisions but sometimes in formula one with all these camera angles this that and the other they still you know it's like they're watching at home on the tv like we are and they just kind of you know chuck a red flag out like in Saudi Arabia, where they chucked a, a red flag out, was they was they weren't sure where Lance's car was, you know, on the circuit. Yeah, that for me is like, how can that possibly be a situation? If you're the FAA, you right. should have access to every and any bit of information possible to to get the yes. right decision, and you should be able to use it at the click of your fingers. So, yeah, it's it's a weird one for sure, but. I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but I do think there needs to be better communication as well between the drivers, the teams, the FIA, and we. And as a fan from at home, just maybe a, a way of actually getting an explanation from the FIA after they make that decision. I agree. Yes. And when I'm sat at home watching it, like you know, me and you were, it would be quite nice in that situation to know why they've put that red flag out there, because then that clears everything up straight away. If they say you know, there's a particular reason for it, then we don't have to have these debates and sort of, did they make the right decision, didn't they? Because, you know, we'll have the info they they made the decision with. Yeah, sure. But I think, that, and you already said that with the teams and the drivers need to sort of be in a bit of discussion with FIA. I think the drivers, probably more so, to be honest, you know, they're the guys that are on the track and that is where they've got to explain the situation from a total driver's perspective in the cockpit in a race situation when an incident like that that happens that if they are happy to do a virtual safety car or do a safety car itself then at least there's a bit of an understanding to say well we're going to be sort of slowed down anyway so everything can continue from that point of view and then you could actually clear off on the car and give it a quick sweep as well because we know the gravel isn't going to be the big issue the big issue is obviously going to get the car off as quick as you possibly can but that's where the drivers i think have got to be um more forward thinking as well and they've actually got to sit down with the fia before the next race but sit down face to face not sending emails and and stuff like that actually do it face to face at the very very beginning of maybe that race weekend yeah they've got to be more vocal haven't they yeah not on a saturday but on a saturday evening or you know sunday morning do it on the friday thursday thursday evening there you go. Do it on Thursday evening to have your sit down with the FIA and try and sort of get an understanding. Do you think there should be a situation where the drivers sort of have a little bit of a debrief straight, you know, fairly soon after the race on a Sunday with the FIA about some of the decisions made? Sort of, you know, in in that sense, obviously we 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 heard some strong things from some of the drivers off the back of the whole red flag um, drama. George Russell yeah. kind of came out and said that he doesn't know what's going on with the decisions. But he says we're trying to work with the FOA to improve things, but it's a bit of a challenge. But surely, when everyone's got what they're thinking on the top of their mind straight after a race on Sunday, it would be good to maybe have those conversations then after the race. Because we know that with the world of Formula One, Johnny, as soon as the race finishes and the interviews are done, a lot of drivers and a lot of the team are trying to get out of the circuit as quickly as possible to get on a flight home because of the way Formula One works with its relentless yeah. calendar people don't want to hang around at the circuit after the race longer than they need to. So in some ways, I think that harms the sport a little bit because everyone's so keen to, to get out of there because of this, yeah. the mad old calendar we've got that those discussions kind of get skipped over. Like you say, you, did, you don't do it in person. No, and I, and I think that's something that probably hasn't been done enough. Even if even I go back to my 
1990s era. It was exactly the same. There were decisions that happened on the circuit. It was chatted between a couple of drivers, but it never spread to everybody on the grid. And that's wrong because it should everybody should be involved with with the, whatever those discussions may be. And you're right. Everybody wants to rush away from from a Grand Prix, understandably so sometimes. But as I said, they should be there should be a bit of communication before they go to the next race to then meet up on that Thursday or Wednesday, whatever it may be, before the weekend has started with your concerns of what happened in the previous race. And then it should be something that happens pretty much every time. There will always be something. But if you think it's sort of, it doesn't really mean too much. It doesn't matter. I think it still needs to be brought up just so that dialogue yeah. is there uh, between uh, the FIA and the drivers as well. Teams, I think the teams should do it separate. I think the drivers have to do their own thing. I don't think it should be the driver and the team going to the yeah. FIA. I think it should be just the drivers themselves going to the FIA. But to me, do it on a Thursday. Yeah, okay. Well, we've tried our best there for the, everyone listening at home to clear that that drama of those situations up. Let's actually talk about, you know, the race itself, what went on, who ended up coming out on top. And I mean, it was a fairly predictable winner in a sense in terms of Max Verstappen winning the Grand Prix. But, you know, it wasn't a straightforward race for him to to get that victory in the end. You know, there was obviously that, the whole drama around the two Mercedes cars managing to to leapfrog Max. What did you, what did you think of the the first couple of laps, Matt? I thought it was quite punchy from the likes of George and Lewis. Yeah. It was the same as what we saw from Fernando in um, Saudi Arabia getting Saudi, ahead of yeah. Perez. It feels, yeah, it feels like every other driver on the grid, if you're not in a Red Bull, is desperate to get the get into the lead <laughs> just to see what could happen if they somehow lead a Grand Prix. But obviously, didn't last too long for the for Mercedes this weekend. No, it was good at the very first, you know, the first start we had, obviously, George getting in front of Lewis, who was then ahead of, of Max. And then he actually had a little gap, didn't he? It was that he was extending him in front of Lewis. So that was looking very good, of course. But then that red flag came out. Then on the second restart, of course, with George not being there anyway, uh, with uh, with his issue of being further back. Um, it was then... Still, the Mercedes having a great start again from from Lewis. So the starts has been something to me in the past has actually been a bit of their weaker side, but now they do seem to have a bit more of an aggressive start setup, which is now able to uh, to pretty much beat Max off of the line. Okay, it didn't happen on that on sort of the last restart, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because they, they're quite strong. But you're right; it was always going to be a Max win at the end of the day. They tried very hard, Mercedes, to trying out foxing off of the line, which they were able to do, but actual pure pace wasn't there because he was able to, to keep consistent. I think that was the thing. There seemed to be sort of everyone else was sort of losing time. They were all sort of, yeah, they were sort of losing time with the tie degradation that you've got. Although their lap times were sort of still okay. It was a different level with Max. Max's actual raw speed was always just that much better. Than everybody else's. It's that's kind of what we're coming to expect from that Red Bull, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's the weak area for everybody else because they yeah. can sort of be closer in a qualifying situation, and they can be there maybe in the first couple of laps of a race, but then that's it. The Red Bull just seems to just get better and better and better, or it doesn't go off anywhere near as much as everybody else, and he seems to be able to use the tires and the drivers able to use those tires and the speed. Of that they bought at the moment with Max is, is very good. And then we actually see on a circuit that's very, very hard to overtake, Sergio Perez started the pit lane and coming through to finish fifth. Okay, all those sort of red flags sort of benefited him. 
but he was still able to do those those overtakes. Some of them were really good overtakes, actually, as well. So again, that just shows that strength, strength of that record. Yeah, it was definitely a, a good recovery drive for from Checo. I was impressed, like you say, with some of the overtakes, yeah. brave overtakes. You know, around that that chicane is super high speed. Regardless, obviously they've changed the, they've changed the layout now uh, in the layout. Sorry, before that chicane, so it, you come into it even faster than than you used to. I've not driven around Australia myself, Johnny, but you know, have you got any experience? Can you tell you know the, the listeners at home what that the circuit in general was like that part of the circuit where we saw Checo, you know, make those bold overtakes. Yeah, well, again, again, they've got to have benefit of, of DRS for sure, which is going to make a big difference. But it's you can place the car, the overtaking car, in, in such a way that you make it more difficult. Like you try to force him to go around the outside. But generally, they're always going to be ahead by the time they get to that that left, uh, left-hand uh, chicane. But it's the speed of that damn thing because it is the commitment you have when you're on your own is something out of this world. But then when you're actually overtaking a car, either on the inside or the outside, you've really got to trust in in your own sort of senses that you get it absolutely right because it can bite so, so quick, especially on the exit curve. The exit curve in the past has really bit a couple of, couple of people, but he was able to place the car and change direction in a, in a very, very positive way. Yeah, I think... That just kind of highlighted for me how good that Red Bull looks, you know, the fact he was able to navigate his way through traffic as well, because that's another element that Red Bull haven't really, okay, we had Max Stappen doing some overtakes last time out in Saudi, but, you know, it's a part of, you know, that whole dynamic with the car that you sometimes, if you're leading every Grand Prix, you're not too sure on what your car's like in traffic, and that there will come a time, you know, where the other the cars hopefully catch up to Red Bull and they they're not leading a Grand Prix and they've got to you know navigate their way through um and feel what it's like behind in the dirty air and didn't really seem to face Checo Perez or Max Verstappen in Saudi so it looks to me that their car is is good uh all around it's you know it's an all-around package Red Bull have got it's quick you know it's good on its tires in the race it's good behind following in the dirty air so Feels like Adrian Newey's absolutely smashed it out of the park, doesn't it? Yeah, it it is interesting. You you talk about sort of it doesn't really get affected in the dirty air, and it does look that is the case. You know, if we go back to the heyday of Mercedes Benz, and they had a bit of a one of the one of the drivers had a bit of a bad qualifier, they found it so difficult to overtake uh, the the car in front because they obviously their car was really disrupted by that dirty air. But the Mercedes, the Mercedes, I think, have improved that slightly. But Red Bull wow, you know, they've just made this car sort of unbeatable over one lap. And then in a racy situation, you know, a, a position we know very well, Billy, where you get behind someone, it's all a bit buffeting going on. The car gets a little bit light on the front end. You can't really quite feel where the steering is. But you look at the red ball. Does the seat hardly get affected at all? Then you have that confidence in the car to make those moves up corners that sometimes you would say, eh, you normally you'd never even try it there. But they clearly have... Uh, a car that is is able to uh, to to make that happen. Yeah, I don't think they're going to struggle to to pull off some over to more overtakes throughout the rest of this season. I think <laughs> I they're going to give so. us plenty of action. It's just a quick. I guess it's just a case of how those two fare up against each other because it looks like that's where the championship fight is going. It's going to be between Max and Sergio right now. We briefly just had a little touch on Mercedes there, mate. We when yeah. we've spoken a bit about you know the fact that that red flag came out did not help George. Um, do you think, I don't know what you think, but 
if both George and Lewis were up there on that second restart, do you think that would have affected Max's ability to pass Lewis and sort of get into the lead of the Grand Prix like he did? Because obviously Lewis was a bit of a sitting duck without any form of, of DRS to sort of, you know, um, help him yeah, protect no. himself against Max. Do you think that would have made any difference or do you think even with both of them up there, that would have been Max's race? Yeah, I, I think it would still be Max's race anyway. Yes, it would probably been that a little bit more difficult because obviously it would have been a DRS from from Lewis and then that would have made it more difficult for him in DRS to overtake him. But I think the raw pace of that kind of straight line is 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 more than enough to be able to sort of deal with that negative side of it. Again, it's another side that the car is able to allow the driver to put himself in a position to overtake. So it may have been more difficult. I don't think it would have stopped him any, in any shape or form. And once he got in front of Lewis, of course, then it would have been the same situation for George anyway. So I, I personally don't think it would have changed it just because I think the raw pace of that Red Bull is, is more than capable of being able to deal with all the different scenarios that he has to deal with, which is quite a rare thing, Billy, to be honest. We don't see this very often where we have a... A, you know, a, fan, a car that is very good in qualifying. You could argue that the Ferrari's been better in qualifying than it is in a race. Yeah. Then when you look how close it was with with uh, the Mercedes in qualifying compared to the race, there, there's quite a disparity. They're quite different from that point of view. So that's where the edge has really shifted more towards sort of Red Bull as a as, as a complete package, and everybody else is still finding their way. The only one that probably is similar. In some regards, but of course they're often qualifying and they're that often a little bit in the races. Maybe the Aston. It's quite consistent yeah. with the qualifying of the race from a race based competitive competitive way. Yeah, I agree. I think the, um, we heard Fernando after the race because he obviously showed good race pace and he challenged Lewis for a little while in the Grand Prix. In and it was quite nice to hear him come out, you know, and praise Lewis Hamilton's performance and kind of say, you know, yeah, well, I, I I gave it my all to make pressure Lewis into mistake and. He drove a perfect race. He didn't make any mistakes. So, you know, I had to set, sort of settle for P3. I think that was nice to hear because, you know, those two, it's always been a bit of a hostile relationship. Do you think there was a little bit of like, you know, just saying that to keep everyone sweet? Or do you think Fernando truly meant what he was he was saying with all that praise for, for Lewis? Because he, he's come out and praised his teammate Lance Stroll a lot at the start of the season. He feels It feels like, you know, he's sort of lulling everyone into a full sense of security, telling them how good they are as he <laughs> plots behind the scenes to try and beat them. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it was honest. I think, you know, there's you're going to have respect whatever you sort of think of each other as drivers. There's always going to be mutual respect as far as what you do within the cockpit of a of a four-door car. I think Fernando's got that. And Fernando, the Fernando, to me, the Fernando that we've got at the moment is probably the best Fernando because he seems to be more open to those comments if it's his teammate or if it's Lewis or if it's Max, for example. But the, we haven't seen that sort of screamy shouty Fernando as well. But of course, the car's in a in a good position at the moment, you know, the podium finishes that he's had in the first three races. So so I think it, I think it was genuine. I think it was very, very honest. And again, that's it was respectful as well, which was nice. And yeah. there was even a little chat, wasn't there, even after the race in the cool-down room between the two yeah. as well. So it wasn't as if it was just a comment. And then I just no. It was we did actually sort of engage full conversation. Yeah, exactly. So no, no, no. I think it was definitely honest, and I understand that. You know, he knows how how good Lewis is. He knows how he knows how good he is, and the same thing with Max. So, so as I said, there is respect there, but that respect always slightly diminishes, I suppose, when you're in a race situation. I think that's where it's always going to be slightly different. Yeah, I think 
it's uh, it's good to see Fernando back in that environment, fighting at the front. I think that's where he he thrives, and it feels like you know he's bringing a lot to the the sport right now. He's bringing us a lot of great yeah. great races, great action, you know, good performances. He feels like he's really. I think as a fan, if you're sat at home, you don't doubt for a second that Fernando's getting everything he can out of that Aston Martin, and that's all you want to see. Really, you want to just see the best drivers getting the best out of the the kit they've got. So, yeah, as just as a from a few pure fans point of view i'm absolutely loving what fernando's doing right now just the final one on mercedes mate before we get into a break uh what do you think on um their pace that they showed this weekend in australia it's probably the best pace that they've shown across the season do you think more of that to come do you feel like they've got on top of the package they've got or is it just uh going to be a bit of a fluke and they're going to struggle again in the next couple of races well it's going to their comments after qualified billy we don't know why (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not a particularly promising comment, is it, no, really, Johnny? That, no, it's not. It's it's a bit of a worry because you know, uh, racing drivers, we all want, all want to have a car that when we get in it and get strapped in and go out the track, we know roughly what it's going to do. Yeah, but the way that the car has been so far this season, no one really knows what it's going to do. And what was the positive thing of probably the weekend was. The, the qualifying was was better than anybody else anybody expected yeah but actually it was it was better in the race because in the, in the past the last couple of races they've been better in qualifying and then actually had no pace in the race whatsoever so this time around at least they were able to sort of get in front on those on the on the couple of those starts but also the pace that they had against the Aston Martin and we know how good the Aston Martin has been all right it's 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 not relative to what the Red Bull is doing, but you're still racing each other on the track. So their performances were better in a race situation as well. It's now seeing if they can keep what they've got. My worry is, is those comments. We don't know why. Yeah, that is the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> Bless you, mate. Bless you. If anyone at home wasn't sure what was going on there, I'm Johnny's Sorry, just, I've got a cold. Uh, got a cold. Blowing no, no. his nose. He's come down with a bit of a cold. <laughs> you needed a bit of Australia sun, mate. That would have sorted you right out. I think I do. I need to go outside. It's sunny outside, so I need to get out of there afterwards and lay in it. It's a raise on my body. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll, we'll chat through some more of the other standout moments from the Australian Grand Prix. Welcome back to the podcast. Right then, Johnny, Ferrari and Aston. We briefly touched on Aston, so I reckon let's pick up with them. 
uh, we, we were talking about, you know, Fernando, what he's been up to in terms of, you know, the comments he came out with. But just overall, a strong performance for him. But there was a moment in time towards the end of the race where it looked like both the Astons, you know, could be in a bit of trouble. It looked like they were maybe looking at you know, no points in total. What did you make of the whole drama and how, you know, quick Fernando was to, you know, jump on the radio saying, oh, it happened in Silverstone last year. That's, you know, move move it back, move it back so I can be back at up the sharp end of the grid again. Yeah, no, it was, you know, there was a lot of confusion in that sort of that latter part for that last lap that we had. But um, they, they did the right thing. I think it was the only way you could do it because of how they hadn't gone through a sector and they didn't have to go back a lap and everything else. So that's where that's got them back onto the grid itself. But that's where there were winners and losers from that because you know, the Alpines were doing very well at that point. Weren't they? Um, but they lost out because they didn't have any cars. Uh, they didn't have any cars to be able to put on the grid. <laughs> no <laughs> cars for the restart. No, but it was... You needed the, the age <laughs> where you had a spare car sat in the garage. Indeed. That would have, that would have two, sorted them out. Two spare cars, unfortunately. Yeah, yes. two spare two cars. Two spare cars. And of course, while those two were sort of having their little sort of comings together, of course, you had Sergio Perez who was on the, through the gravel, through the grass, and he, he had lost that as well. But he gained yeah. from it as well. It's Nico Hulkenberg, he's the one who sort of lost... Lost from that uh, from that sort of first first lap melee, but it, again, you know, Aston had done a very very good job. You know, there are certain rules that are written written for a, for a reason, and they lucked in this time around. But it can go the other way. It's not yeah. always going to work out for you, as 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 we saw a little bit earlier on for, with George. He was unlucky in that situation. So that's racing. Yeah. Racing is it's not always fair. And is there a was there a perfect scenario? For that end of the race, was there another way they could have done it? Could have come back the next day and everybody repaired all the cars and then put them back on the grid. Maybe that was it. There's sometimes that you can't have rules for no, those situations, can you, Johnny? You I mean, you know, when that all kicked off, there's cars in the wall, and you know, then they go, okay, we haven't done a sector, so we're gonna, you know, just restart with how they were before. You know, as much as it stings, I think, I think everyone in that situation could understand that there wasn't much more yeah. that they could do other than to to restart, you know, in the same positions they were before that, that second restart sure. or second red flag. Yeah. Well, the other, the other thing as well is there was, there was, I had a little bit of talk about sort of, well, maybe we don't, why do we, why do we actually need to run for that lap up to the, uh, to the checkered flag? Why do, why do we need to do that? Well, the prime example was the five second penalty that the man that sort of, you know, knocked out Fernando Alonso going into turn one, um, that changed everything because obviously if you had stopped it, he would have still finished where he was. But of course, with the five-second penalty, it was a total different scenario. So he went from having points to no points. Yeah, and we're obviously talking about Carlos Sainz yeah. there, aren't we, mate? At, and he was not too impressed with that penalty, to say least, was no. he? He thought it was super no. harsh. It, yeah, coming on the radio. <laughs> I didn't realise you did such a good Carlos Sainz impression, no, Johnny, my, mate. I'm impressed. <laughs> my best Spanish. <laughs> but yeah. But it was understandable. What would you have been like, Johnny, in that situation if you were the one getting that penalty? I probably would have sworn more. <laughs> you would have sworn more. More swearing. The old bleep machine would have been in full action. I bleep machine would have been in full action. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but again, here, look back after it, Billy, and sort of understand it. Understand it. As much as he, again, you look at the instant, you know, he went into turn one, didn't he, too, too quick. He clipped the back of Fernando. And Fernando was sort of then, let's say, sort of out of the points at that point. Now, was the five-second penalty, yeah. was it correct? 
for doing that. It was a racing incident, but but you've some sometimes I think you you do need to be penalised if you take another car out. It's a tricky one, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because as well, the nature of that turn one in Australia, where the corner sort of comes back towards you, you know, it tightens up towards the exit. You do get that mixture of lines. If you're on the outside going into turn one, eventually, if you you've gone on the inside, the line sort of you know comes to a point where they cross each other, and it all gets a little bit tight. And you see that a lot in Australia at that first corner, don't you? Those sorts of incidents where you yeah. know on the first lap, one's a bit wider than the other car, and that they want the same piece of tarmac. Well, the other thing, Billy, as well, is could he have avoided Fernando going into turn one? Well, yes, he could have done. He could have braked earlier. He could have sort of aimed more to the yeah. right-hand side as he came out of the corner. But that's not a racy, racing driver's mentality, is to keep as much momentum as no. you possibly can. Because if he had backed out of it and sort of pulled over to the right to sort of avoid the incident... All the other guys on the left-hand side would have been blasting past. Yeah, he would have got eaten alive. Yeah, got eaten alive. So you can't back out of it in that scenario. And when you're sort of going in there when the tyres are not quite sort of up to where they need to be as well, it just makes it that little bit more tricky. And there was sort of a Constantina, a sort of effect going on at the same time. So there were so many elements to, to that sort of contact that he had. But... I'd probably have to say they probably did the right thing. I always sort of love to say, well, keep on racing, because if you keep penalising everybody every single time, like what happened with Carlos going into turn one, you might actually say, well, why should I take a risk? Actually, I won't bother, and then I, then I won't get in, into, a, into a, an incident like that. But actually, you'll lose out more because you, all those guys you said will actually blast past you anyway. So it's quite a, it's quite a tricky balance to know exactly what what you should do. I do tend to agree with you, though, that I think they got it right, the FIA, didn't they? I, I think, think so. they, On that situation, you know, if that race hadn't, you know, been red flagged again and Fernando been given those positions back and Fernando had finished out the points, you'd want Carlos Sainz to also finish behind Fernando on the road and be taken out the points. And, you know, I think they've given him a penalty that would suit if he'd, you know, the race had continued without being re-gridded yeah. again. And yeah, I think, in my opinion, the the right decision on that one in the end. But obviously, Carlos, you know, is tough pill to swallow. And I think, I think that frustration of the penalty was also related to the fact of Ferrari have not had a good start to the season, have they, mate? They're not where they wanted to be. And I think we kind of felt that frustration a little bit on Carlos's radio. And also, Charles Leclerc post race came out and said, "This is the worst start to a season ever." So I mean, Ferrari probably he got that right. Yeah. Probably not where they <laughs> were expecting or wanting to be in the slightest Ferrari. They are they are struggling. Do you think they can bring it back at any point, or do you think they're going to sort of have to write this season off and just focus on next year already? I've, I've got to focus on next year because obviously they're not going to be Red Bull anyway. And at the present time, they're even they're not no. going to be a Merc when it sort of gets itself up uh, up and running where it where it sort of should be. And then it's not going to be an Aston Martin. I think there will be circuits that might benefit them a little bit more but I think fundamentally they need to be able to do it every single time they go out of the track like a red ball you know this is this is not just Ferrari going for yeah. just to win the odd race every now and again it's to actually win a world championship like everybody else so the focus has got to be right how are we going to improve our situation so they've got to improve a little bit still and maybe some of their decision making still but the fundamentals is actually getting the wrong yeah. pace out of the car so that's where they've got to look further ahead and why not plan now why not look towards 
next season and try and come up with a few ideas and give them maybe a little sort of try this season before we go in, into the yeah. At least get a direction, a bit of a direction. I'm not sure there's a direction at the moment if you're going to beat Red Bull. It's weird for us to be in this position saying that about Ferrari because when you think, you know, we had the, the new yes. rules last year and with the, you know, and the start to the season that Ferrari had with those new rules, it felt like this could be a set of regulations where Ferrari could thrive again and, and be consistently up the sharp end. But as we saw through last season, that all faded away. And now it feels like they're lost. And in terms of the direction they're going as a team, it just, they're on a downward trajectory. And it's like, where did, how did they let slip such a great start to new, the new rules where they've just not been able well, to get any more out of that car and they've actually gone backwards, in fact? It's quite easy, Billy. I blame one man, one man and his team. One, one man, man and, and one his man team, only. Actually. One man and, and only. Adrian Newey. Adrian Newey. <laughs> so you, you're in the camp that it's not Ferrari's fault, it's Red, Bull, Red Bull's fault in a way because they're so good. Is that really where you're going yeah. with this? Yeah. That's where I'm, I've, I've already gone. Surely Ferrari have got to take some ownership. <laughs> They're the ones that are in charge of their own bit of kit. And at the start of last year, it was the fastest car on track. And, and now it's a mile off. Yes. Well, there there you go. That's where the all the ingredients were not, all the stars were not aligned. They had that strong start and then it all sort of disappeared. They've unfortunately carried on from where they left off last year and they're not strong enough to get themselves on the podium consistently at the, at the moment you know they're they're outside the top the top three that podium just because the raw pace of that car is not really there and then we're, we're talking about the, the Mercedes being a bit inconsistent and the driver's saying we don't know why we had such a good weekend it's almost as if Ferrari are in a similar situation because they sort of you know you know the first couple of races they were quite close and qualified to Max you know, you do what how close yeah. they were actually with uh, Sergio in uh, in Saudi. It was one and a half tenths, I think it was. He got his ten second penalty. So yeah, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't it? a lot in the race. It didn't happen. Did not happen. So again, there is sort of this difference between a qualifying and the difference between the race, and that's where Red Bull can seem to be able to do both, and everybody else is struggling. Probably, probably not Aston Martin. They seem to have sort of a a consistent car in both. Hasn't got the raw pace to beat uh, a, a Red Bull, but it has got the pace to beat a Mercedes anyway. Well, I think the consistency is highlighted by the fact Fernando's finished third in every single race. You know what I mean? Yeah. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? You know, that Fernando's just consistently finishing sort of, you know, just off the back of those Red Bulls. That's kind of been his, his spot in the pecking order. And yeah, that for me says it all, that, you know, even with a car that maybe on a Saturday for them is, can get edged by a Mercedes or a Ferrari come crunch time at the end of the Grand Prix. Fernando's second best behind the Red Bull. So that's like the consistency that Aston Martin have got. It, it shows from the results that Fernando's had across the yeah. season. What about McLaren, mate? This, I think it's important as a last last little touch on the team. We we talk about them because the start of the year not not been the smoothest for that team. You know they've had a lot of lot of issues, but you know they go go to that home race for Oscar Piastri and all of a sudden they managed to bag a big haul of points. Yes, and I think we're all happy that they have been able to to do that. You know, again, they were probably sort of fortunate in some ways. Not not so much with Lando because Lando was actually doing a good job. Probably probably Oscar got a little bit more luck in that latter part of the race. But Oscar, I have to say, has done a really good job. So that the positive thing for 
for McLaren is they've got two drivers who are able to sort of get themselves in a position to get those points. Same as Aston Martin, actually. You know, even Lance is able to do the same. But, you know, Oscar has shown some some real pace in the car compared to his teammate, uh, Lando Norris. Yeah, Saudi in particular was strong weekend, wasn't it? And it was only, what, I can't remember what it was. Was it seven thousand slower? You know, he was knocked out of the the Q2, I think it was, or Q3. Yeah, small margins. Yeah, massively small, small margins. But he's only going to get more comfortable with the car once he gets more comfortable. Oscar, that is. They've got a really good, strong package of of drivers there at McLaren. Now it's just trying to find the direction again, what they need to go to give themselves a chance to start to challenge the likes of maybe Mercedes and Aston Martin. It's going to be tough. But uh, now they've had that sort of the, you know structural structural change, and hopefully the, you know the new the new head that has come into the aerodynamics, for example, is able to sort of steer them in a direction that will be positive. Yeah, they need to just get that car in a better position and fundamentally, stop. don't yeah. they? Because at the minute, you know, it's all good having two quick drivers, but in the world of Formula One, two quick drivers in the wrong car, you know, doesn't deliver results. The car and the team that are building that car are so critical to the results that you get. You don't get it from being just the fastest driver out there. You know, even Lewis Hamilton this season, you know, obviously Australia was a a turnaround in form for him and a good result for the team. But, you know, some would argue he's the best Formula 1 driver of all time. But if you'd watched Formula 1 for just the last couple of seasons, you you wouldn't be sat there saying that. You'd be going, you know, why I don't understand why all this, you know, Lewis Hamilton hype is there sort of thing. (laughs) Because you're watching him struggle in a car that's not been competitive. And that is the fundamentals in Formula 1. Some people like that, some people don't. But that's that's the the crux of it, really, is yeah. that McLaren just need to get a quicker car. They've got upgrades coming, though, haven't they, mate? Yes, they have. And again, hopefully these are going to be that, that sort of pos- positivity that they need to sort of steer it in that direction I was talking about. And that steering of direction is only about carrying on that sort of lovely sort of upward spiral that they were doing it flattened off a little bit uh beginning of this season for sure maybe a little bit last year but i think you know i think they've got the right ingredients to be able to do that i've got the driver pairing for sure but now it's just going in that direction as i said yeah i saw on, on andrea stella actually came out saying that he hopes that all the, the upgrades they bring throughout the season he hopes they're worth about a couple of temps each time they bring a set of upgrades so you know, a couple of attempts isn't going to get them in the mix with, you know, Aston Martin and the likes of a Red Bull anytime soon. No. But what with that midfield being so tight, it would that can be a separator of getting them to the front of that midfield. So I exactly. think realistically, with the new upgrades they're bringing, if everything goes to plan and they work on the car, because obviously that is the, you know, it's all theory to a certain extent until it gets put on the car. Um, even with all the information they have, there's still that element of, you know, what if for some reason there's something that we've miscalculated or, you know, hasn't correlated from the wind tunnel. But if it goes to plan, I think we can see them, you know, jumping up that midfield order and maybe scraping into Q3 on a on a more regular basis. I think that will be the sort of position they'll be aiming for. Yeah, that that's the thing is because at the moment they sort of can sort of just about getting that sort of Q3, but fundamentally they're sort of in level of 12, so never, you know, but it's mighty tight to be able to get yourself into that that Q3. So again, a couple of tenths, that will throw them straight into the into that area of being more comfortable uh, with uh, with a Q3 sort of uh, for both cars. And, and that will be a very positive thing. Of course, they'll be planning a couple of tenths, but so will everybody else. 
You know, we know it doesn't exactly. stop steel with, you know, any of those teams on the grid. So it's just the one who's able to just find that nugget that gives them an advantage, but a very, very mighty tight be slim in that mid-pack, as you said. And then, you know, if they, if they can benefit from that, you know, McLaren fans would be very happy and we'd be happy that, our Brit, Lando Norris, is in a is in a much stronger position as well. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, with these upgrades, you know, some it's not like just McLaren are bringing upgrades. Everyone is, so you've you've got to make those upgrades really count and and find a way to unlock the potential of your car. Finally, mate, let's get into our predictions yeah. about how we got on with them. Yeah. It's fair to say, I'm going to be honest. You know, the first race of the season, I absolutely nailed it, and since then. I feel like I've got worse and worse and worse at these predictions. <laughs> I predicted Charles Leclerc on the podium, I'm pretty sure, and he had an absolute stinker. So you did have a stinker. What were your predictions again, mate? What was your your top three? Can you remember? I, th- I think I think it, it was Max, uh, Sergio, Fernando. Max, Sergio, Fernando. So I got so two. So you got three. two of the three right, and I'm fairly certain I went for Max, Charles, and Sergio. So in that sense, I only got one yes. of the three right. So. Johnny's putting his thumbs down to me right now. And I think, I mean, this one isn't going to go to a vote. I don't think it, it's going to be that close. Because like you say, you've got two of the free right. I think we should. I just want to yeah, Another test. vote. I wanna, Are you sure you want to go wanna, down that I route? I want to test everybody out. Yeah, I just want to see who's who's the favourite. We can do the vote if you want, mate. But I was about to get, I was about to give you the win there and, you know, be a sport in the... I'm taking the win anyway. I'm taking a win anyway. For your own pride, mate, you haven't got a win on the board yet. Take it while you can. <laughs> I've won anyway. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but it'd just be interesting to see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm giving you the win, mate. We, we can yeah. we can have a power if you really want. Guys, what, what Johnny's saying is he re- just really wants to see that, you know, the votes come in for himself. He wants to have that moment of glory where he can what's his plaster what's his it all over his social media about how <laughs> much he beat me in the vote. It will get you involved with the poll, but yeah, do, this is going to go do, do. down unless the poll says otherwise. <laughs> but, I mean, in my opinion, this is a t- it's 2-1 now, you know. Give Johnny a win, get him off the mark. You know, I've lulled him into a full sense of security with this one, and I'm coming back strong for the next race. I've just learned with Ferrari, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I went there early on thinking there's a chance that this they they couldn't get this thing right after the test we had in, in Bahrain, and then it never really materialised. I thought even after Bahrain, there was a chance, and it didn't materialise. So for me, they've gone from my voting piece of paper. They're not making your top three anytime soon. Is that what you're saying? At the moment, both. I'm not making my yeah. top three for for quite a while, I think, which is which is sad to say. Any Ferrari fans out there, sorry to that you had to hear that that Johnny Kerbert, you know, he's writing you off completely. But I, mm, I don't know. I always feel like you know Charles Leclerc, you you got to throw him in there every now and then. But they are going in a direction where I don't think they'll be in my predictions for the next race anyway. Put it that way. Now there you go. There's still plenty of the season to go, mate. I'm sure we'll get another set of uh, way to go. the results right at some stage. Otherwise, if I've just got it right at race one and, and never again, that kind of highlights how much of a fluke it, it was. At the moment, it's a little bit like you're going to a new team. So we're going to a new team in the new podcast era of our lives. Uh, and when you're a racing driver, you go to a new team and you took you take time to settle. Yeah. I think I'm settling just much quicker. Ah, uh, you better in, are you? Is that what you're saying? You know, you're taking a little while to settle, settle in. I hit yeah. the ground running. Oh, yeah. I hit the ground running, went out, pulled it. I'm hot now. <laughs> yeah, I'm out of form to say the least. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce back, mate. I'm gonna bounce back. Next race out, 
Okay. I'm, I'm telling you, all three of my, my drivers are going to be on the podium. You know, I've had words with them already, you know, okay. the WhatsApp messages have been right. sent. I'm telling them to get them get themselves together and deliver me uh, another victory yeah, yeah, in the poll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, just a little bit of help on the, on that next decision that you make uh, with the next race. Um, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Uh, yeah, I think I'm getting too clever with it. I do, I do. I think I'm I'm reading too much into it. But we'll see. Um, there were a lot of talking points from this weekend. There was, there was. And coming up later in the week, we're going to be answering your questions in our team radio episode. So if there's anything else you guys at home want to know about, please get in touch with us at Lift the Lid Pod. And we'll be back later in the week for more of the same. Thanks for being with us, and we'll catch up very soon. Thanks, everyone. This has been a Soapbox London and SBX Studios production. Our executive producers were Ryan Wilkinson and Andy Bell. See you guys next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.